Psalm 103 says these words. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. That is what the psalmist sings. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And what I want to ask you this morning, is that your song this morning? Is your song, bless the Lord, O my soul. What the psalmist is doing there is he is speaking to his own soul. He is speaking to himself and he is saying, soul, it's time for you to bless the Lord. In other words, that language is like this. It's time for you, soul, to praise the Lord. And I wonder this morning, is that your song? Are you singing that song to the Lord? Bless the Lord. Because here's the thing. You can sing that song in a church and with people around you because people are watching you. But you are watching me and there is no one watching you. And you have the choice this morning. Will you sing that song this morning? Bless the Lord, oh my soul. But you'll notice he says more in that blessing, doesn't he? Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Everything that is within me, Lord, I want to bless your name. I want to praise your name with everything that is within me. And that coincides with the greatest commandment, doesn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. In other words, love the Lord with all your being. And Martin Luther, he was known for saying this. If that is the greatest commandment, to love the Lord with all your being, then it is the greatest sin not to. Oh, that is what we are called to do, friends, this morning. We are called to bless the Lord. And in the tradition of the psalmist, the New Testament writers, they carry on this tradition. Paul, he carries on this tradition in in Ephesians chapter one, verse three. Instead of the normal thanksgiving that he begins with, he begins with a blessing. And in chapter one, verse three, he says this. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And why does he give that blessing? Because the Lord has given us every spiritual blessing there is in Christ Jesus. That's why he has given us that great blessing. And then he continues on in in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3. He says again, instead of the normal thanksgiving, he starts off with blessing and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And why does he bless the Lord? Because of his comfort to his people. And so not only does the psalmist say, bless the Lord, not only does Paul say, bless the Lord, but Peter, in this letter of 1 Peter, he begins by saying, bless the Lord. Turn to 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 3. Listen to what he says. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 3. He says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He begins this letter not with a thanksgiving, but with a blessing. And you see what is so controversial about him offering up that blessing onto the Lord. What is so controversial about him asking those people to do it is that those people he is asking to do it or those people he was responding to in blessing 
are those who are being persecuted, are those who are suffering great trial. And he starts off this letter to them saying, blessed be God. You know, sometimes when you're going through trials and difficulties, those are the last words you want to hear. And so you can imagine the the people saying, why would we bless the Lord? You see, there are times in your life, I bet you, and maybe you've had some of those times this week, where you just want the world to leave you alone. You want to walk away from the world and you want the world, just if the world could just leave you alone just for a moment. And so what you do is you go upstairs, you go into your bedroom, you crawl in under the covers and you say, world, leave me alone. But then here's what Peter does. Peter is one of those annoying friends who, who, who follows you up the stairs and starts knocking at your door. And he's knocking at your door and you shout at him, go away. And he says, no, I want you to bless the Lord. And you shout at him back again, go away. And then he finally, what he does, what Peter does is he opens the door of the room of your life and he comes into you and he says, it's time to get up out of bed and bless the Lord. And you say, why? He says, let me give you four reasons why you should bless the Lord. The first reason. You should bless the Lord is this. Bless the Lord for his great mercy. His great mercy. Listen to verse three. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his Great mercy. This is why we are to bless the Lord. Because of his great mercy. And often as Christians, we can get confused by these two ideas, the idea of great mercy and great grace. Because there is a difference and both of them, they intertwine and they interlock. But both of them, when put together, they are glorious. You see, in Christ Jesus, we have received both great grace and great mercy. And yet we need to know what those two things mean. First, in Christ Jesus, we have received great grace. How have we received great grace? What is grace? Grace is when the Father gives to us something that we do not deserve. It is a blessing that he gives us that we have not earned, that we do not deserve. And an example of that grace outworked in our life is a salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. He has outworked that salvation in Jesus Christ in our lives. That is great grace. We do not deserve it. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is a gift of God. It is not by our works. And so this great grace is when we are given something that we do not deserve. But then there is also great mercy. And in great mercy, here's what God does. He holds back from us what we do deserve. In great grace, he has given to us what we don't deserve. And great mercy, he has withheld from us what we do deserve. And what is it that we do deserve? Well, what we deserve is judgment and wrath. 
as a punishment for our sins. And yet God in his great mercy for us has withheld his judgment from us. What we deserve is death, but according to his great mercy, what has he done? He has given us new life. And that's what it means. That's what Peter is saying when he says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. This is an example of his great mercy, the new birth. He has caused us to be born again. What does that mean? Well, when I think about what that means, I remember when I was younger in, 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 in school, in, in secondary school, I, I had just become a Christian the summer before, and we were in class, and we were assigned to give these speeches. We were asked to look out at the great speeches of history and bring those speeches into our class. And what we were to do is to stand up in the class and read out that speech as if we were giving it for the first time. Now, I had just become a Christian and I was really excited. And here I was in my in my English class in, in school and I knew what the Lord had called me to do. I found one of the best speeches I could find in the Bible. And one of the best speeches, I think, one of the best speeches actually comes from the writer of this letter, Peter, in Acts chapter 2. And one of the reasons I know it was one of the best speeches is because 3,000 were added to their number that day. So I took my Bible in class and I stood up at that moment and my knees were knocking. And I read out the speech from Acts chapter 2. When I had finished, I sat down and silence filled the room. Why? Because God was at work. God was at work. And I sat down and when I sat down, this girl who was next to me, she said, do you mind if I take your Bible? I said, I don't mind. She said, could you turn in it to John 3, 7? I thought to myself, that's amazing. I asked, why? She said, because there is this guy at all the GA matches, at all the GAA matches, he, he takes this sign with him. He's always behind the goal with this sign. And on the sign, it says John 3, 7. And I want to know what that means. He said, of course. And I took the Bible and we opened it up and we read it together. John 3, 7. Do not marvel that I have said to you, you must. Be born again. And she asked me that day, what does that mean? And I said, that's a good question. What does it mean to be born again? What it means is simply this. We have been born physically into this world, haven't we? But what we need is the new birth. What we need is to be born again spiritually. Because the Bible makes it clear that, that spiritually we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And what we need is God the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and make us born again. Yes, we were physically born, but we need to be spiritually born. We need to be given a new heart and a new life by God. 
And the reason this is so important is because of what Jesus says to Nicodemus in chapter 3, verse 3. He says this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so it is so important for you this morning to know what it means to be born again, because if you do not know, What that means, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. If you are not born again, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, then you ask, how do I become born again? Well, it is a work of God. It is a work of God, the Holy Spirit in your life, who causes you, who makes you to be born again, to be born anew. And so what you need to do is to call out to God, make me alive. And the reason I know that this is a work of God is because of what John says in other verses in John. He says this in John 1.12, listen. Yet to all who have received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now listen, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. If you are going to be born again, it is not by your descendants. It is not by your religion. It is not by your family. It is not by how good you behave. If you are going to be born again, it will only be by the work of God. And this again is John's point in chapter 3, verse 8, when he says this, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of The spirit. If you are going to be born of the spirit, it has to be the spirit's work. If you are going to be born again, it is the spirit's work. And this is Peter's point here, isn't it? In verse three, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. And so what Peter is doing to you, he is saying this. Get up out of your bed. It's time to praise the Lord. And you say to him, why? And he says, because God has made you alive when you were dead. You deserve judgment. You deserve punishment. You deserve not to be alive. But he has shown you great mercy. And when you know that, when you know that he is the one who has caused you to be born again, do you know what you want to do? You want to bless God and say, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we bless God for his great mercy. But then Peter, he comes to you in the side of your bed and he gives you another reason why you need to get up in the morning. And it is this. Bless the Lord for our living hope that is what he has given us living hope look at verse three according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead he has caused us 
to be born again to a living hope. This is why we praise God. This is why we bless God, because we have been given a living hope. In this world, there are two types of hope. There is a dead hope and there is a living hope. And I think the only hope that this world can offer you this morning is a dead hope and not a living Here's what I mean by dead hope. It works its way out in two ways primarily. There is a dead hope in this life. When we use the word hope, there is just no certainty behind it. Let me give you an example of that. When we say there is a vaccine coming, what we are saying is we hope there is a vaccine coming. But you and I both know that there is no certainty behind this. We don't know when exactly the vaccine will come. We don't know if we will get it when it does come. Will there be enough for us? We don't know will it work when we have it. And we don't know will we just be stuck with this virus forever, even if we do get the vaccine. And so, yes, we are putting our hope in this vaccine. But yes, you get this feeling that this hope is a dead hope, not a certain hope. And that is the hope of the, this world in this life. But also in this world, there is a dead hope in the life to come. Why? Because after death, many people believe that that is it, that there is no more after death, that we just die and that's it. As the numbers of deaths have been trickling up and up and up and up again, in Ireland and again in other nations. The reason this is such a disaster for many, many people is because after death, there is no hope. You are just buried into the ground and that is it. This world's hope is dead hope. But not so for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who are in Christ Jesus, they do not have dead hope. They have a living hope in Jesus. And we have a living hope in this life. Why in this life? Because we have been born again to a living hope. We have got eternal life now. The old has gone and the new has come now. So our hope, our living hope is right now. And we have a living hope. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. Why? We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a hope in Jesus. That Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, and that on the third day he rose from the dead. And our hope is in the certainty of his resurrection. And so we know that when he comes back to judge the living and the dead, he will raise us up to a new and living hope. This is why our hope is living, because our Savior is alive. <laughs> our Savior died. He was buried. He rose again. And people often stop there in the gospel. But not only did he rise again, but what did he do? He ascended into heaven. 
physically and bodily and is seated at the right hand of the father, which means he is ruling as king, which means his job is finished, which means he is interceding for us, which means you and I, brothers and sisters, have a living hope. Our hope isn't dead. Our hope is alive because our hope is in Jesus. We have a living hope. I love what Edmund Clowney says about our hope. Listen to what he says. Our hope is anchored in the past because Jesus rose again. Our hope remains in the present because Jesus lives. And our hope is completed in the future because Jesus is coming back again. This is our living hope. And this is why, spiritually speaking, Peter is coming to you saying, get up out of your bed and bless the Lord because there's hope in No matter what circumstance or situation you are going through now, brother and sister, listen to me. And I know many of you are going through different trials. You might make excuses for those trials and say, you know what, my trial isn't as bad as those other people, so I shouldn't be feeling this bad. But listen to me. Your trial is real for you. What God wants to say to you is that your trial is not hopeless. There is hope because there is living hope in Jesus. And when you hear that, do you know what it makes you want to say? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we bless him for his great mercy. We bless him for our living hope. And we bless him for our eternal inheritance. Listen to what he says, verse four. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So we have been born again to a living hope and we have been born again to an eternal inheritance. An inheritance. An inheritance. When we talk about inheritance. Or when if, if you want, if you want, let me say this, if you want a family to get into a fight, here's what you do. Put money in there and there will be a fight. Here is how I know this. When you play Monopoly at Christmas, you as a family will fight and you will fight even over fake money, let alone real money. So who gets what in the inheritance becomes a a real issue, a real contention point. Who deserves the inheritance? And that's a real issue for those receiving this letter, because I am convinced the more and more I read this letter, I am convinced those those receiving this letter were primarily Gentiles. Gentiles meaning they were not Jews. And so this question of inheritance from God becomes quite a big deal for Gentiles, those who are not Jews. And here is what Peter is trying to do for them in this letter. He is trying to encourage them 
to say that the promises of God are now not only for the Jews, they are for the Gentiles, they are for you. And here's how he encourages them that they are for them. Because he starts to say to them that they are part of the family. He's saying to them, they have got the family name. We heard that last week. They were called elect. Elect and chosen was a term and a designation that was only given to the Jews. And now he is attributing it to the Gentiles. They are exiles. Another name that was only given to the Jews and now it is attributed to the Gentiles. The dispersion used twice, two other times in the New Testament to refer to the Jews. And now he's taking that term, referring to it to the Gentiles. And now what Peter is saying to you and I, to Gentiles, to those who are not Jews, not only do you have the family name, but you have the family inheritance. Unbelievable. Why? Because the family inheritance was only ever attributed to one small nation, Israel. And the inheritance only ever spoke about one specific small piece of land, the land of Israel. But what Peter is saying to them here is this. This inheritance is now not just for one people who believe by faith. This inheritance is for all nations who have believed in Christ by faith. This inheritance is not just about one small piece of land. This inheritance that is given to you is about inheriting the new heavens and the new earth. And so Peter says in 2 Peter 3 verse 13, But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth, which the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is our inheritance. We are going to get it all, brothers and sisters, because of faith in Christ Jesus. And then listen to how he describes the inheritance. Listen to how he describes the inheritance in verse 4. It is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Imperishable means you cannot destroy it. You cannot corrupt it. It is imperishable. It is undefiled, meaning it it is pure. It is clean. It is devoted unto you. Unfading inheritance which means it shines and never loses that shine this is your inheritance and that is so different to everything we know or will inherit in this world if you if someone signs on the dotted line for you and you inherit a house guess what that house is perishable that house will fade. If you, if someone signs on the dotted line and signs off a car for you, guess what? A car is imperishable and its color will fade. If you get for yourself an extension onto your house, guess what? The extension is perishable and its joy will fade. But our inheritance, brothers and sisters, it is not like anything in this world. It doesn't perish. 
doesn't spoil and it doesn't fade and it will be for eternity. There's one more thing I want you to know about this inheritance. Listen to what he says about it. It is kept for you in heaven. It is kept for you in heaven. To which you should ask the question, who's keeping it? How is it kept? You know, I'm reminded of there's there's this time, there's these beautiful moments as a father. And you'll realize these beautiful moments as a father when, when your child is holding their most precious toy. And as they're holding their most precious toy, they realize there's an activity that they want to go and they want to do over there. But then they have this dilemma. What am I going to do? I want to go over there and I want to do this activity, but I also want to hold my toy. Well, what am I going to do? Am I going to go over there or am I going to hold my toy? And then they think of a solution. Daddy's here. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give my toy to him and I'm going to go over and play. I'm going to give my toy to him and I'm going to say, Daddy, will you mind this? Here's what they're doing at that time. They're taking the most precious thing that they know. And they are giving it to the most trusted person that they have. Because they know he will keep. He will not let it go. And he'll give it back to them. Our inheritance is in the safe hands of God the Father. And he is keeping it for us. Until he calls us home. So Peter comes to you and he says to you, get up out of your bed. Bless the Lord. Because you have an eternal inheritance. And when you realize the reality of this eternal inheritance, do you know what it makes you want to say? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is more. There is one more plea that Peter has for us. To get up out of our spiritual slumber. And it is this. Bless the Lord for his powerful protection. Listen to what he says in verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We are being guarded by God's power. God's power. (laughs) The power that spoke the stars into existence. The The power that spoke the mountains into existence. You know, I was walking up a hill, a hill the other day with one of my friends and we were talking and we we laughed. He laughed at me because he noticed I lost my breath as I was walking up just this small little hill. And then it made me think, how massive must God be? He didn't create just the hills. He created the mountains. Oh, and how powerful he must be. Have you ever got stranded out in the ocean and realized 
I am just helpless. I am just so small. God Almighty is so, so powerful. But that same power is the power that he is going to use to protect you and guard you right up until the end. He powerfully protects us. But in this, there is a paradox. Calvin, he so eloquently writes about this paradox. And I'm not going to say it in Calvin's way. I'm going to say it in Shane's way. And, and here is the paradox. The faith that we have. The faith that we have is what gets us into trouble in this world. You will find that when you trust in Jesus, that very faith that you have will get you in trouble in this world. This is why you find it so difficult at work to tell people that you're trusting in Jesus or so difficult in the playground to tell people you're trusting in Jesus because you know that there may be some repercussions to that. However small, there may be repercussions to that. And so what these, these people he is writing to, they're realizing that the faith they have is actually what gets them into trouble. But here's the paradox that Calvin talks about. The faith that they have is not only the faith that gets them into trouble, but it is the faith that will keep them and carry them until they go home. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith, through faith for a salvation ready to be, be revealed in the last time. God's power is guarding us through faith that he has given us. Wonderful. This word guarding speaks of, of a military troop that would gather around the city and protect it from its foes. Except here is the difference. We have not got an army of mere men and mortals. We have got God and his army powerfully protecting us until the day of salvation. <laughs> so we should bless the Lord. And that protection continues until the last day of salvation. And you say to me, what do you mean salvation on the last day? Have I not already been saved today? If I put my faith and trust in Jesus, have I not already been saved today? What are you talking about a salvation in the last day? Here's what he means. You need to realize this in your life. You are saved if you're saved by faith in Jesus. You are saved. But you're not yet saved. Here's how I know that. Do you ever cry at night? Are your tears your pillow at times? That's an indication to you. That you are saved, but you are not yet saved. Do you ever feel your body giving up on you? Your bones hurting you, decaying on you? 
that should be an indication to you that you are saved, but you are not yet saved. Do you ever get crippled by the reality of sin in your life that you just cannot seem to shake? That is speaking to you that you may be saved, but you are not yet saved. Do you ever look across the table at that empty seat that should have been filled at Christmas and yet your loved one is gone? That is an indication to you that you may be saved, but you are not yet saved. But, brothers and sisters, there is coming a day of salvation where those tears will be gone, where that pain will be gone, where that sin will be defeated and where death will be no more. Because our Savior is coming back again and there is living hope in him. And he will rule and he will reign. And you know what is wonderful? His powerful protection will keep you until that day. So Peter walks up to your bed and he says, Siri, he says, he says, weary, sleep filled soul. Get up out of bed and bless the Lord. Do you know what all of this causes you to say? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. At this time, I could think of no more appropriate song for us to sing than bless the Lord. And so what I'd like us to do at this time is sing Bless the Lord. And please do come in with comments, reflections, thoughts, scripture readings. They're so encouraging for us to reflect on. and takes just some time to breathe and reflect on the truth of how we can bless the Lord. So let's sing. Bless the Lord together.